Maybe just to say that uh, what, what we'll be offering um, are really, in a way, um, introductions to a few different areas and um, practices that you can take further and perspectives related to Buddhist practice, nonviolence, that you can work with and take further. In many ways, it's like getting an introduction to mindfulness. We get some core tools. We don't necessarily get a sense of how to work with mindfulness with all situations or all types of mental, emotional, bodily states, right? You get initial tools and of course, many of us who practice mindfulness over the years, we get a sense of then how to work with these states or that states and the complexities and how you bring this into this kind of situation and so forth. I think it's the same certainly for some of what we will be offering here. So for example, what we did with that empathy, that's a very wonderful practice to develop further with empathy. Right. And really to bring that generally in, especially more um, as something that you do receptively and tuning in empathically. What you would actually say to someone, that's going to vary. You wouldn't necessarily want to say, uh, have your expression of empathy be always my sense is that you're feeling this and that my sense is that you have these needs. We wouldn't know, this is Kazu's comment in part, we wouldn't always say that. Um, that wouldn't always be the most, most skillful. It depends totally on the relationship and so forth. Uh, and sometimes we would just say, hmm, yeah, I, I, I hear you're hurting or something like that. So just to know that, uh, on the other hand, the, the training to keep on tuning in in these ways will develop us to the point where the empathy gets more uh, intuitive and natural. And it can, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have to say, let me tune into emotions, let me tune into what matters. But in the short run, it's a very helpful practice. Again, just how, you know, being with the, uh, being with the breath is a wonderful way to train for mindfulness. Doesn't mean that you go into all situations and just stay with your breath. Right? So just to just to clarify that that, uh, and we'll be you know in a similar way we'll be working with uh, loving kindness and forgiveness practice and work with those. But again, still to bring those into a wide range of experiences is really kind of like a community inquiry that we do together with other people and there, there are a lot of complexities there. So I just wanted to say that as a kind of qualification. Uh, please, yeah. Um, I was hoping you could repeat you said a quote by Cornel West at the end. Yeah, the, the request for the, to repeat the quotation from Cornel West, he said that justice is the public face of love, which again really follows much from uh, from Dr. King, and actually I thought, you know, what I want to do in this segment is to um, somewhat briefly uh, talk about the uh, Buddhist teaching, uh, a core inner teaching, really a core wisdom teaching about the nature of reactivity and then how to work with that. And this is a way complementary to 
what we um, what we receive from the heart practices. There are, way, there are ways in which there's a complementarity of the uh, heart practices and the wisdom practices. And so what I wanted to do was to rather briefly give an overview of this core teaching, uh, which is prob- probably close to the, co- the core teaching of the Buddha, as we find in the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. Uh, show its parallel with nonviolence, and then we'll practice together uh, working uh, with essentially this wisdom teaching as a guide to our mindfulness practice, a, gu- a guide to our, our um, really our insight practice more generally, how we work with uh, our minds. And many of you know that the uh, core teaching of the Buddha, when, it, when all, when all uh, when he first gave the teaching, um, the teaching he gave was the teaching of the Four Noble Truths. Many of you know this. It's the teaching that there, it's usually presented that there is dukkha, usually translated as suffering. In other words, there are, there are difficulties, challenges, unsatisfactoriness in life, that there is a cause to the dukkha or, or suffering, which in some ways is uh, uh, reactivity or, or resistance to the present moment, either in the form of grasping or pushing away. That there, the third noble truth is that there is the possibility of freedom from grasping, compulsive grasping and pushing away. In other words, we, that we can be uh, with the flow of experience on an ongoing basis with uh, balance, equanimity, and mindfulness. Essentially that there is freedom, you know. Uh, and then the fourth noble truth is the practical way to come to that freedom. That's the core teaching. That's what, when the Buddha first started teaching, that's what he taught. And in many ways it's at the heart of uh, the teachings. Uh, I remember once when I was, uh, uh, I was once asked with my colleague Diana Winston to um, come down and be present with a community in New Mexico that was uh, starting uh, an intentional community. And uh, they wanted us just to be present and maybe be helpful with some facilitation if necessary. And uh, the, the community was going to actually connect Buddhist practice with care of the elderly and be a kind of a residential community that would double as a, almost like a Buddhist retirement home. It was a really great idea. And um, the community, though, that was developing had had some ups and downs. I think that's why they invited us. And the ups and downs manifested quite strongly, like after about two hours of a, of a, of a three, what I think was a three-day meeting. And so we had to, um, and all of a sudden we were just there as, as witnesses, and all of a sudden they said, we need you to facilitate conflict transformation, please help. And so, but one of the things that I remembered that we had people there from different Buddhist traditions, and we found that the Four Noble Truths was a common denominator between the different approaches. And so we used that. To me, there is a very um, powerful teaching 
that actually, in some ways, is clearer than the Four Noble Truths. So I hope that's not heretical for people to say, okay, Buddha, you know, you weren't completely clear there. Here's a better way to be clear. But I, I would actually think that, that, and we don't know actually all the material that comes through from the Buddha, you know, was, uh, took 500 years before it was written down. So there's a little, some potential for slippage. <laughs> anyway, there, there was a teaching which I love, which really gets to the heart of this. And I'm, I want to give this because it's a guide for practice. And it also really shows the very clear parallel between uh, the essence of Buddhist practice and nonviolence, as developed by Gandhi and King. And this is the teaching called the teaching of the two arrows. And how many of you know the teaching of the two arrows? So this is probably my favorite teaching. And you know, it is rare that I do something that lasts for more than a day or two where I don't give this teaching. So, so I will be satisfied after I do this and can relax. <laughs> So, um, here's the teaching, and think of this in relation to the teachings of nonviolence. Think of it in relation to the teachings of hatred never ends with hatred, it's only by love that hatred ends. So, the Buddha was talking with practitioners, he asked them a question. He says, everyone experiences at times the unpleasant. How are practitioners different from non-practitioners? In other words, how is someone who takes these teachings seriously different from someone who, who doesn't? Or at least doesn't put it, put it into practice. And he says, and then they, he asked them, they didn't answer his question. So he said, okay, I'll answer it myself. Which was a common strategy. And so here's how he went about it. He said, everyone at times experiences the unpleasant. And this is as if we are shot by an arrow. And he said, this is the first arrow. We are all at times experiencing the unpleasant. We are all as if shot by an arrow. This may occur in terms of uh, physical discomfort. You know, we may have injuries. We may have uh, ways that we have unpleasant sensations in the body. It may be too hot outside, all sorts of things. You know, we can have unpleasant physical experiences, we can be ill and so forth. That would be like being shot by the first arrow. We also can have obviously difficult emotions and thoughts, unpleasant emotions and thoughts. We can at times have fear, anger, sadness, despair. We can have unpleasant thoughts, you know, um, it's always going to be this hot, you know, or, or you know, uh, this is, you know, this is not going to work, or this relationship's not going to work, or I can say, you know, um, you know, um, I really just, I'm not good at relationships, and, ah. You know, I can just think about that, and it can be a fixed thought, and I just go there all the time. You know, I can have that unpleasant thought. I can have unpleasant emotions. And I can also be treated unfairly or unjustly. I can be oppressed in various ways. In some ways, though, we could say that all those together are examples of being shot by the first arrow. And the Buddha said, 
in terms of being shot by the first arrow, the practitioner and the non-practitioner are the same. They do not differ. We all at times are shot by the first arrow. We all at times have unpleasant experiences. Where the practitioner differs from the non-practitioner is in what you do with the first arrow, what you do with the unpleasant. And he said that the non-practitioner tends, because of the presence of the first arrow, to shoot a second arrow, and we could say either at oneself or at another, as if that would help the situation. We, in other words, we react. We, we uh, with physical discomfort, we tense around it, right? Or we um, may contract and so forth, and people working with chronic pain say that for a lot of types of chronic pain, actually the bulk of the pain is the reaction and it's not the original pain. In other words, it's the second arrow. That, um, so I've heard as much as 80% of what people with some forms, not all forms of chronic pain experience, is the reaction to the original stimulus. So, not surprisingly, one of the first applications of mindfulness practice by John Kabat-Zinn at the University of Massachusetts Medical School was to people with chronic pain. Because if you could teach them to stay with the 20% and not go, not add the 80%, it's huge, right? right? And so that was, that's, that's one way that we shoot the second arrow. We know probably much more clearly how we shoot the second arrow when something happens of an unpleasant, difficult nature, let's say interpersonally, or in terms of something that just happens. I had, and you know, something happens that was unpleasant, I didn't like it. You know, something at work, something in a relationship, something doesn't go the way I want, and it's unpleasant. And then I shoot the second arrow either in relationship to myself or in relation to another. And so I can have something that occurs in a relationship that takes 10 seconds and I can be reacting about it for the next three weeks, right? And I can be blaming, judging, that's the second arrow, right? That's the second arrow. And I can have, uh, again, negative thoughts, negative scenarios about the first arrow. This has happened, you know, uh, I'm just messing up, you know. You know, we can go to self-judgment, we can go to judging of other, blaming of another, we can have uh, catastrophic thinking, negative scenarios, and we can get fixated on. Those are all examples of shooting the second arrow. And we can also do that when there's uh, lack of fairness, lack of uh, justice, lack of oppression. We can, in reaction, try to bring pain to the person who we think brought us pain. And that's often a description of violence. It could be, it could be through words, it could be through actions. These are, this, is a, this is, again, how the second arrow is shot. And again, we think of a lot of uh, conflicts. They are two persons or two sides shooting the second arrow at each other, right? And so, 
what follows from that in terms of our practice? Well, what the Buddha said is that practitioner learns not to shoot the second arrow. The practitioner learns, and that's a complex set of learning, uh, learnings, I should say, that what do you need to be able to not shoot the second arrow? Again, there are all sorts of different degrees of intensity and complexity. What does it mean not to need, well, not to be almost like uh, compulsively shooting the second arrow? One thing is it means you have to be able to be with the unpleasant without immediately reacting. That's not easy. That's some of what, what, what we discover in mindfulness that we have conditioning often when something unpleasant occurs, again, could be physical, could be emotional, could be mental, that we often simply react. You know, we're sitting in meditation, we have a negative thought, and we just say, ah, why am I thinking that? And we just react negatively towards ourselves. We have a difficult, you know, unpleasant physical sensation, we tense, we try to get rid of it, right? And so forth. So part of, part of uh, the training is to be with the unpleasant and simply know what it's like when that's wise to do. You know, when I, you know, so for a lot of us, we've been able to be with unpleasant sensations in the body without reacting when that's not causing harm, when that's okay to do. And we learn not to be so conditioned by unpleasant sensations. You know, probably more so, we learn how to be with difficult emotions. We learn how to be with anger, notice anger, be mindful of it, um, respond skillfully to it, would be part of uh, working with the first, uh, the first arrow. How can I respond skillfully to unpleasant physical sensations, to difficult emotions? Again, this could dictate a whole, you know, two-month training to go further. But in various ways, we learn, first of all, to be present with the unpleasant without simply reacting. You know, what is this like? Whereas normally, what do we do? The unpleasant arises, we want to just immediately push it away. Right? That's our reaction. And we also, so we learn how to be with it. And then we learn how, uh, secondly, we learn to study the ways that we react. We learn to study the ways that we shoot the second arrow. In other words, we get to know our habits very well. This is a large part of meditative training, right? It's to know your own patterns of reactivity. It's not a pleasant aspect of practice necessarily. It's not something we advertise widely in our literature. Come to wonderful, beautiful Spirit Rock. Study your, your bad habits. <laughs> Study your patterns of reactivity. Become experts on your own patterns of neurosis. How wonderful. But in actuality, that's what we have to do. We have to be experts on our patterns of reactivity and know them very well so that, why? So that when they occur, we recognize them. And so we can notice ourselves starting to shoot the second arrow, but because we've studied it, we recognize, oh, I'm shooting the second arrow. And we notice it maybe after 10 seconds or 10 minutes or one hour instead of three days or three weeks or three years, right? So a lot of the practice is learning how to notice I'm starting to shoot the second arrow so that we can respond 
you know, and again, there's a whole long way that we, and what we'll do a lot in our three days is to explore what are skillful ways to respond when the first arrow is there. You know? In the social realm, this would be what do you, how do you respond skillfully without uh, simply perpetuating the problem? Because a lot of, again, I think we'll come to this later, but you can see that a lot of the analysis of the um, second arrow, and the second arrow, by the way, is shorthand for the second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, twentieth, <laughs> and two hundred and fifth, and two thousand three hundred and forty-third arrow. Okay, it's shorthand for that. And so, what we start to see is that reactivity is actually cyclical. There's a cyclical pattern of reactivity where it feeds on itself and just keeps going. And we also see that that's analysis that Gandhi and King gave of violence. That violence, in a way, is cyclical. One, just like re one moment of reactivity leads to another, whether uh, internally or we know that interpersonally, right? You know, um, I remember from one uh, close relationship I had where I studied this, I noticed that um, a typical pattern by which we would get stuck was something like this. I would say something, my partner would become reactive and react to me, I would react to my partner's reaction, and we were off to the races, right? <laughs> right? And it was actually, if we stayed in those reactions, there was breakdown of communication, right? And that, you can see that, that cyclical nature of it. And again, not hard to look at situations of violence and see, you know, you know, we have received harm, we will give harm to you, and then it just keeps going. And again, a lot of forms of violence. So can you see how learning not to shoot the second arrow is so intimately linked up with the uh, teachings on nonviolence? You know, and that in nonviolence, you try to find ways to break the cycle of violence. And so this is a really, shows you us really clearly how the core inner practice, I would say that's the core inner practice of all of Buddha's practice, what I just mentioned. And I could give it in more depth, but that's, that's it in the, in the kernel. And that that provides us an inner practice which we can work with, which is the complement of acting nonviolently outwardly. And of course it's crucial training that if I can actually work with my own reactivity, I'm in much more of a position um, interpersonally or in a social situation to not act reactively and violently. And then I can also, and, then, and also I can, you know, in some way also, if I study this a lot of myself, I can also, I think, have more empathy and, and compassion for those who are caught in reactivity, because I've studied it. I know what it's like. It's not actually that much fun, right? I'm caught in that it's, it's, it's painful, in a way. Okay, so that's the, that's the teaching, and it's, um, to me, that's a little more skillful, actually, I have to say it like this, than the Four Noble Truths, because it really, I like to translate dukkha as reactivity. Suffering, to me, is confusing. Partly because you, we could say, if we make a technical distinction between the first and second arrow, we could say that the first arrow is pain and the second arrow is suffering. But then we always have to understand suffering as that reactivity. But in English, it's confusing. 
because we use suffering often as synonymous with pain. That's why I like reactivity better. The other uh, asset, so to speak, of, use, of talking like this is that when we use the word reactivity rather than uh, suffering, it points to two forms of reactivity, both the pushing away and the grabbing hold, which is really what the Buddha is pointing to. He's pointing to both. He's not just pointing to uh, the pushing away when we feel pain. He's pointing to both because they really are uh, intimately related. So that's why I like, it's not a literal translation, but I think in terms of the meaning, I like reactivity better as dukkha, and reactivity is the main, what we, the main aim of transformative practice is to transform reactivity. Also makes more sense when we say that the aim of Buddhist practice is to overcome suffering. Again, it can be confusing unless we make that technical distinction. Because we're not trying to get rid of pain. The Buddha, when he was older, had a bad back. <laughs> yeah, so maybe you're, not you're channeling. You're channeling. <laughs> I always say I'm not old, but I'm old enough to remember what it was like to be young. It just didn't happen before. Yeah. And so, anyway, that's my, that's my little, uh, what, little uh, pep talk for talking about reactivity and the importance of the two arrows. Okay, so uh, practice. We'll, we'll do a practice now together. And in many ways, the, um, the essence of the practice, and again, this is something that uh, we can especially uh, we'll look at today, you know, while we're here, but we also can look at it when we go home tonight, uh, when we, uh, you know, whatever happens in the morning, and of course in the weeks after our, our three days, that the Again, I was, I was identifying two main areas uh, that we can apply to training. One is when there is the presence of the unpleasant, you can actually be with it as long as it's skillful. Skillful means if there is unpleasant sensations of the body, if you know that it's, it's not going to cause harm, not going to cause damage, it's not an old injury or something, but it's just, you know, I'm tempor temporarily a little bit uncomfortable. Let me just be with that. Right? And you can be with that, or a difficult emotion. Let me just be with that. So the first part of the uh, practice, or the first uh, kind of practice, would be when the unpleasant arises. And I'm not going to, you know, deliberately do it. I have a Tibetan teacher would have people just sit there and put pressure on their thumb, you know, and, and say, "Okay, study the unpleasant." Okay. <laughs> you can do that if you want. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, not going to do it. We'll just, some of you may not experience the pleasant and have very little chance to practice this in the short sitting that we'll do in a moment. Uh, but that's the first kind, is actually to be with the unpleasant, open to it, be with it, notice the tendencies to react, notice the thoughts that say, this is a stupid practice. Why are we doing this? You know, and so forth. So um, that's the first one. And then the second is, Watch if you notice the tendency to shoot the second arrow and study when you're shooting the second arrow. Notice it, right? So it could be, remember it's the, you know, there's could be unpleasant sensation, unpleasant thought, unpleasant emotion, and then there can be further reactions to that. So we want to look for that when that occurs. Again, it may not occur too much, but those are the two, the two instructions for right now. So... Any questions about that? Not not so much about the teaching, but any questions just about the instructions before we sit for a while? 
And so again, you can just start with the breath. And again, it may, there may not necessarily be uh, so much unpleasant experience. If you're feeling deprived of unpleasant experiences, you can use my Tibetan teacher's method. Put a little pressure and feel the unpleasantness, you know, on your thumb or finger or something. Not on your wrist if you have a cast. What? Now. What we're currently experiencing. Yeah, the the practice is it's not to think of unpleasant things from the past, but it's to if and when uh, unpleasant arise in the present, then just uh, notice it and notice it, and then also notice. Notice both what it's like, but notice any tendencies to react. Okay? So we'll do this practice for maybe about 15 minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.